Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, July 17th. Last week at the NATO Leaders Summit, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced $541 million in new funding and resources to support Ukraine and strengthen transatlantic security. We get the latest on the war between Russia and Ukraine from Andrew Rusoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Alberta's first mental health park opened last week in Calgary. We hear details on what makes the Braun Family Foundation Rotary Park unique from Sheila Taylor, who's the CEO of the Parks Foundation. Could training in bare feet have health benefits? We discuss the practice with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, and find out why shedding your shoes could help you elevate your game. Two people dead after an explosion on the Crimea Bridge connecting Russia to Russian-occupied Crimea. With the latest, we are joined by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European Affairs. Good morning again, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Can you tell us about this latest, this attack on the Crimea Bridge? So what we know is um, Russian reports uh, say that two uh, Ukrainian, what they call naval drones, uh, hit the uh, the car traffic side of the bridge. The bridge has a rail side, which was hit a few months ago before and repaired, and now it's the road side that's been hit uh, by these two drones. The traffic was halted and remains halted. The bridge, the piers are fine, but the surface side is leaning over, so there's going to be substantial repair work to be done on that bridge. Incredible. Yeah, I guess we'll see how that develops and unfolds. Then also, we were hearing details about the Black Sea grain deal, the state of it, where we're at, and the impact it may have. So, t- so tell us how this whole uh, thing came to be and, and where we're at in the Black Sea grain deal. Yeah, so about, about a year ago, in fact, uh, last summer, uh, a deal was struck with the Turkey being the negotiators and as well as the United Nations to broker a deal that would allow uh, both Ukrainian grain and fertilizer and Russian grain and fertilizer to leave their respective ports from the Black Sea through the Dardanelles and to be shipped outwards, mostly for the the, um, uh, the, the developing countries in, in Africa and so on, where there was a grain shortage there. And so the deal was brokered. Now, and it's, it's up subject to periodic three-month renewals. And the Russians were complaining throughout the year, basically, that uh, they were not able to fully implement their side of the deal because of sanctions, uh, Western sanctions, which, uh, which impeded things like, for example, uh, insurance for their boats. Uh, because, the, yes, their boats could leave with the grain. That was okay with the deal. But because of other sanctions, they couldn't insure the boats. So that was an issue that had to be resolved. And the other one that's, uh, that's talked a lot about now is that the, um, the, the Russian bank that deals with the grain deals, the Russians want that bank reconnected to the SWIFT banking system. That's that sort of international credit system bank. And the West does not agree to that as of yet. So the Russians are, are playing hardball on this. And basically they said as soon as their, their uh, requests are met, the grain deal will come right back online again. And the Turks are are, uh, are working on it. Uh, Erdogan has already scheduled a trip to Moscow uh, in uh, in August, and, and that will continue. So it, it, it's suspended for now, but it's not really a done deal. There's some bargaining going on there. And, and an important one, Andrew, isn't it? I mean, the end of that deal can create a, a huge food shortage in other parts of the world. So this has to yes. be re, you know renegotiated, right? Yes. Yes, yes, and, and I can't predict it, but um, I, I, all this, my sensors seem to suggest that this is a temporary suspension uh, and that, and that the, the deal will be made. It's just a lot of bargaining has to 
taking place in the West, I think, is going to have to lift lift some of those sanctions. And so that that's where. But yes, because it is very important, and everyone sees that this is a deal actually that works to everyone's advantage if it actually works. And that's why uh, the Russians are actually have for a year actually fulfilled it because it's their interest, it's the Western interest, Ukrainian interest, African interest. Yeah, it's in everyone's interest. All right, Andrew, let's look uh, back to last week, the NATO leaders meeting, and they did welcome Finland and, and Sweden to the organization. The path for Ukraine to become a NATO member, we're hearing that this will happen, you know, perhaps after the war, for example. Uh, but is that lip service? Do we see a world where Ukraine is a member of NATO? So that, that NATO summit was, uh, in Venice was very important. I call it a reality check summit because this whole issue that you describe of Ukraine's relationship with NATO was actually clarified quite uh, well uh, because of the debates. And there was a lot of debates within NATO on this issue, uh, as well, of course, as, as Ukraine. Ukrainians were not happy. They wanted to have stronger language and uh, and, well, they would have liked to be in now. But the point is that the, the alliance was divided on this. And so uh, in, in the press, even, there were statements made very clearly by NATO officials that uh, the final deal says that essentially uh, Ukraine is not going to join NATO until the war is over. That language is not written in the communique. It's more language like when there is consensus among allies, when the time is right, Ukraine will join. OK, that's what it says. But the explanation was given clearly, you know, no Ukrainian membership until the war is over. Now, as consolation prize, if you want to call it that, uh, Ukraine got uh, a, a, a pass on what's called a membership action plan. So at the time when Ukraine is invited to join, it will get a fast track the way Sweden, yeah, so Finland has gotten and Sweden should get. But we have to remember that both the uh, Turkish and the Hungarian parliaments still need to ratify the Swedish membership. So it is not, as of yet, a done deal. It's been invited, but not ratified. So the point is that for Ukraine, they, they walk away with, with something in the future, but not while this war is going on. While this war is going on, what they get from NATO is continued commitments for support from individual countries. NATO as itself does not supply stuff, but the individual countries do. And like the G7 has signed on things, Canada's part of the G7 has signed on, saying they will do more stuff. It's not specific, not outlined. Commitment, you know, deals will be worked out. So, and the war grinds. So that's kind of where we're at. Andrew, ultimately, we are close to the 18-month mark of this war. I remember when we talked to you right at the beginning. Yeah. How long do you think this might last, Andrew? Uh, if okay. anybody could look into yeah. their crystal ball and find the answer. But, you know, how do you think things are going at this point? Are we still pretty much in a stalemate? Yeah, I, 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 yes. I mean, yeah, okay. So let me amplify. Yes, it's a grind, a grind. Uh, the Ukrainians are moving a little bit further like east in their, in their offenses. But, but they're up against a very deliberate Russian defense. And so they realize they cannot punch through the way they had hoped to punch through. So they're trying to wear down the Russians. It's a war of attrition, and, and the Ukrainians are calling it uh, asymmetrical attritional gradient, uh, which means they're going to try and, and sort of cause more damage to the Russians than the Russians can cause to the Ukrainians. And at some point, they're gonna, the Ukrainians hope to wear down the Russians at some areas of the line and then punch through. Now, the Russians are doing their own limited counterattacks while they're doing defensive operations, and they're making very, very small increments. So the question is, how long will this war of attrition go into the fall? And we cannot predict it, but, I mean, even the American General Milley has said this is going to be a long, grinding, bloody offensive operation. So we can assume it will go on after the summer, but then it culminates because both sides 
they have to take a pause. You can only keep up a, a, a memento of an operation for a certain period of time. And basically everyone is saying by the fall at some point, this thing is going to sputter out and everyone's going to have to sort of take stock. At that point, the question will be, how far have the Ukrainians gotten in terms of their offensive? Is there a prospect for a ceasefire at that point? It's probably not, but that question will come up. And then if the answer is no, then the only other answer is more war for 2024. As you get, you're going to have to go through the mud season again in the late fall and into the winter season, and we'll have a new cycle of warfare. Um, so... That's kind of where we, that's the best crystal ball I can give you. It's the best we've had, uh, well, certainly in, in quite some time. And we appreciate your insight, Andrew, because, yeah, it is a very complex situation. Uh, thanks for uh, clearing it up for us. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you and have a great day. You too. Bye. That is Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Calgary has opened up Alberta's first-of-its-kind park aimed at supporting mental health and wellness. Joining us with all the details on Alberta's first mental health park is Sheila Taylor, Parks Foundation CEO. Hi, Sheila. How are you? I'm great. Excellent. Thanks for coming in live to chat with us. I think this is super important, like more so now than ever before, obviously. But what defines a mental health park? So we looked at all the research surrounding mental health and youth when we went forward with the design of this park. It's located just steps from the summit, which is Calgary's newest facility designed to support uh, youth and child and adolescent mental health in Calgary. So this park is an absolutely amazing place, one of a kind in Alberta. It was designed with purpose, Sheila. If you can speak about this, the research and, and studies to design a park like this. This wasn't just the aesthetics, uh, but can you talk about the purpose and the research involved? Well, mental health is unlike other health conditions where there are big differences. We could have youth with anxiety, with depression. We can have a five-year-old up to a 17-year-old. So we created various zones in the park. Certainly there are some aspects of the park that are very meditative, have sanctuary areas for people that really need to decompress and de-stress. Others will be uh, benefiting from a lot of physical activity and recreation. So we have those zones in the park as well. Plus, there are sensory elements, thinking about plants, the sounds and touch of different kinds of plants. And then lastly, there's an area for programming where the facility next door can bring kids outside and have lessons and activities for those kids there. I love it. So give us one zone, for example, and just kind of paint us a picture of what it looks like. What's in there in, in order to help? There is a beautiful part of the park that is a meditative labyrinth walking area. So you can walk in this infinity loop over and over again. And we're hearing um, that within the facility, they'll take kids outside and hand them a rock that might have um, a, a saying on that that has a fear for them. And they'll walk through that labyrinth and think about it and then deposit that rock and pick up a new one that might say love or hope or calm. And so that element there is is so special. And then you can conclude that by sitting on a swinging bench and and just spend some time enjoying the beauty of the park. Love it. It does sound super unique, Sheila, and uh, hearing what Sue said in the introduction here. Um, Alberta's first of its kind. So, so uh, A, why did it take so long? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if this is happening across the nation, is this the first of many to come? 
Well, we certainly hope so at the Parks Foundation. There's been a really rising recognition of the importance of mental health and particularly in youth coming out of the last few years. You know, when we, we think about the way we used to look at parks, it was really about going out and getting exercise, going to a playground. And I think for so many of us, we now recognize the impact of nature and parks on our own mental health. And so we're looking at park development in a whole new way. We certainly at the Parks Foundation um, are are both surprised and pleased at the outpouring of support for this mental health park and are very much hoping it creates a whole new typology of park that we'll see more of in Calgary and elsewhere. You talked about some programs that you know people can get involved with within the park. Is that sort of like an outside program that you would bring in or are programs offered specifically at the park? So right next to the park is the Summit, which is an Alberta health services facility that is built and designed to help youth and uh, who are experiencing mental health challenges. It's actually for all of southern Alberta. So kids are coming in there and getting help, but we um, are hopeful that the Summit will have their programming spill outside because we all know the benefit of getting outside and in particular for these kids. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting, and, and, and just to draw a comparison, I know we've done a lot with kids camp cancer care, for example, in the province, close to the city of Calgary, their activities, they can, you know, of course, benefit those kids who need it and need some specialized care. But at the same time, it's the whole family and friends. It's not just for, you know, lasered in a specific challenge for a child, but is that part of what this park is about in the sense that get everybody together? Oh, absolutely. When you're bringing your your child to this place, there's going to be the whole family there, right? And that's why we love that the park has different zones because um, a really young person can get their basketball and enjoy shooting hoops at the sport court that we've built there. The sport court that also has on its surface a beautiful butterfly butterfly mural Mm -hmm. that was painted. And so that's going to be great for kids. We're going to have people from the community coming as well. Mm -hmm. The community wanted there to be paths created through the park that would join the whole community together and we see a huge benefit in having kids who are getting treatment at the facility plus their families plus community members all coming together just think about the benefit of a child who might be experiencing say a problem who lives in the community but they're kind of fearful of acknowledging that or seeking help and they go to this park and they see another youth from the facility there and they think you know what i'm not alone i'm not alone that could be me that that child looks just like me so is it open to everybody then, or is it sort of closed to the, the community and, and the, the summit programs? It's a fully public park. I okay. hope that everyone goes down to visit. In the park, we have put features that are for teens because most of the kids seeking help at the summit will be teenagers, and public spaces are, are often built to exclude teens, Good right? One. So we wanted to say, hey, what could we put in this park that teens would love? One of those features is actually the largest climbing boulder in any public space in Calgary. So you can go on down and climb. And we actually know teens love to sit on top of high spaces and hang out and look down at the adults that won't go up there. So um, we think that that's going to be a pretty tremendous feature. And we hope that all Calgarians will come on down, check it out and enjoy themselves. Incredible. Yes, the Braun Family Foundation Rotary Park free, open to the public. Everybody welcome at 1205 17A Street Northwest located right adjacent to the summit. Is that right? That's right. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Sheila. We appreciate it. Sheila Taylor is Parks Foundation CEO. It is our regular segment with Dr. Ted Jablonski, and maybe 
Baseball legend Shoeless Joe Jackson was way ahead of his time. <laughs> Current day MLB players are embracing a shoeless trend. To explain the potential benefits of the practice during warm up, uh, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Oh, you know what? There are so many options for footwear these days. Mm-hmm. And you can spend a moderate amount to an outrageous price, but these MLB players losing the footwear. Tell us about this. Well, this is um, uh, actually isn't that new in many ways, but it's, I guess, getting into pro sport, which gets it into the news. This notion of grounding or what they call earthing, where you're having the, the earth's um, sort of forces of the earth coming through the grass through into you as a human being to recharge you, etc. That's sort of the more uh, a psychic version of this story versus perhaps from a, through a more medical lens. This is what we call mindfulness. I'm being in the moment. I'm being very aware of my surroundings. So by walking in grass, I actually feel my skin feels the earth. Uh, I feel the coolness of it. I feel the different textures. And that puts me right here, right now in the moment. It's a, it's a meditation technique. Uh, it's a calming uh, technique. And, and players are now using it to sort of ground, ground themselves uh, mentally so that they're prepared for the game coming up. So it's a really interesting that's making the news and that we're talking about this. Dr. J, some say that it actually also decreases pain and inflammation. It can lower stress, uh, normalize the nervous system for better sleep. Are there health benefits to it in reality? So if we call this mindfulness, and again, you, you may have, uh, like people listening may say, no, it's its own thing specifically with grass and the earth and the ions and etc. But if we talk about mindfulness, that sort of being in the moment and being very conscious of our surroundings, that has huge medical benefit. And we are now, we have a number of studies where we can look at, say, chronic pain management. We can look at the management of chronic illness. And people who practice mindfulness as part of a daily routine will sleep better, will have better parameters of health, uh, whether we're looking at, you know, say, say specifically uh, blood sugar control, blood pressure control, etc. We can actually medically do better if we practice this. Now, people who do yoga have a mindfulness practice, even though they're calling it yoga. People who who run or walk regularly might actually have uh, this might be mindfulness as much as exercise because they're very conscious of being in the moment, right? So all these different techniques we can call it a lot of different things, but they're all at the core of the same thing, and they all have huge medical benefit potentially. We're looking at the upside, Doctor J, and I'm thinking about these uh, major league ball players on the grass, and that's great. But we did hear about that trend years ago when it came to uh, shoeless running. Yeah. Um, could should should we also look at any potential hazards? And I'm thinking about damage to your foot and the support we get from, uh, you know, a, a special pair of shoes, or not just that, you know, puncturing the the soles of our feet without shoes. Yeah, I think barefoot running is a, its own thing. Like I think this is a very safe and why uh, MLB players are getting away with this. Like I mean, manicured. Yeah. beautiful fields of exactly. grass. They're not going to run into a whole lot of trouble there. But I have seen runners running on paths that I'm running on, and I, like, even with shoes, I, I'm feeling the rocks under my feet. So it's very interesting that some people are able to do that. Now there's variations of, of uh, you know, running barefoot. There are different uh, shoes that have a little bit of a, uh, like, a little bit of rubber. It's almost like a sock, feel. right? Yeah, like a, like a rubber sock in a way, exactly. But yes, you have to be, I think, very careful. If you're that kind of runner, you have to 
really watch where you're running. You you have to train your feet to be able to take that extra abuse. Uh, but there's a whole realm in there that's absolutely quite fascinating. I've never, me personally, I've, I've always been terrified of doing that. <laughs> I've ever hurting myself, uh, you know, running on stones with, with bare feet. But I do love to be bare feet on grass. I have no issue with that. I, I find it actually quite quite nice. Yeah, I agree. I, I, get, I understand because it is a nice feeling, isn't it? And they don't need to worry about rusty nails at the baseball stadium for sure. So it yeah. kind of, this is completely off topic, but this is where my mind went, is walking on hot coals. Is this sort of the same, like kind of getting your... <laughs> into a mode where you you know you're just you're within yourself and you're kind of leaving everything else behind i guess so uh again the hot coals is its own thing uh completely different than anything we're talking about mm-hmm. but yes i think it's getting the whole point of all this is getting into a zone and just being in the moment and just relaxing and just letting time pass without any pressure on that uh you know that that's what this is mm-hmm. um and and it's a matter of finding out how to do that in your own life on a regular basis that you can actually do uh even if it only takes 5 minutes or 10 minutes something you know just something very brief but something where you're in a different world and that world is very peaceful very calm you know and there's no pressure on it uh and that's a beautiful thing and we should all search for that whatever that might be a very interesting topic because we all could um... use to get more active, be more grounded, especially after 10 days of what we've been through. Um, Thank you uh, so much, Dr. Jay. We appreciate your time. We'll catch up next week. Okay, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician.